Welcome to a new episode of Carolyn Talks for Series What Happened podcast. I'm your host, Carolyn Hines, film critic and journalist. And this is the podcast, Max YouTube channel, where I talk to film creatives about their work, the industry, and what inspires them. And today I am joined by filmmakers and journalists and activists, Julia Ha, Eugene Yi, and Ronko Yamada to discuss the film, or documentary, I should say, Free Chul Suhi, which premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in 2022. I actually wanted to see it then, but I missed it because of the scheduling and timing. So I'm actually very happy that I'm getting to speak to all three of you today. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. So as usual, I'd like to have my guests to say a bit about themselves before we begin discussing the projects. So we'll begin with um, Julia and Eugene to talk about your your work. But it is... Oh, sorry, I said Julia. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. I apologize. <laughs> Right, so we'll um, begin with Julie to talk about her um, her journalism career, and I think it's a very interesting connection to the film as well because your mentor is the lead journalist in this story, and then for you, Eugene, to talk about your work as a filmmaker and how you and Julie actually came together to work on this project, and then we'll go to Ronko to talk about her activism. And I believe you all, you became a lawyer because in the documentary it said that you were you decided to go to law school because of the case. Right. So we'll do that. So Julie, we'll begin with you. Okay. Well, uh, great to be with you, Carolyn. Thank you for having us on. Um, yeah, I um, met KW Lee, the journalist in our film, when I was 18 years old. And actually, um, he inspired me to want to become a journalist in the first place. Um, notably, we met at um, the Cree Times English edition, which he had founded um, back in 1990, a Korean American newspaper. And he actually says he was inspired um, to do that and to write about his community um, by the Chosuli case, um, because he was a, a, a reporter for mainstream newspapers for much of his career before that. Um, and so, yeah, I actually didn't have um, previous aspirations to become a filmmaker, um, but it really was um, my relationship with um, KW Lee and also knowing um, Eugene, um, who we had collaborated together as journalists for Korean American Magazine. Um, it was really those relationships that um, led me to even entertain the idea of making a documentary film. Um, and it was really um, the the passing of Chol Suli, I, I, I would say, that that even um, planted the seeds um, for making a film about this very important story. I, you know, I had attended the, the funeral um, back in 2014, actually to write an obituary mm. um, for a magazine. Um, and um, also because I was worried about KW because he was very, um, he was very anguished for, um, over the passing of Chol Su, who, for whom um, he had become like a father figure. Um, and, um, you know, it was a very modest Buddhist funeral um, in San Bruno, California. Ronco was there, um, and several activists um, who who were um, who participated in the movement to free him from prison were there. KW was there, um, and um, I was just overcome with an emotion um, in that space that just felt like it was beyond grief, and um, I often describe it as a heaviness, and. Um, you know, I think I was struck by the depth of compassion and humanity expressed by some of the activists who eulogized Chelsu. Um, they, as much as they did for this stranger, 
um, to free him from prison in a six-year-long campaign. Um, a couple of them expressed that maybe they didn't do enough or that they wished they had done enough, didn't done more, um, which I thought was such a, a remarkable um, uh, statement. Um, and then at one point, K.W. Lee stood up and he was very um, emotional and um, he, he, he lamented how this story of a landmark um, Pan-Asian record social justice movement, um, the first of its kind really in our history, um, a, a unique movement even just for American social movements, um, was not known, you know, had all been, been forgotten, um, not even taught in Asian American studies classes in colleges and universities. And so, um, you know, uh, fast forward nine, 10 months later, Eugene and I were talking about making a film together because we had, um, sh we always shared a passion for telling complex Asian American stories um, with nuance and depth. And we were brainstorming about making a film together. And and um, I spoke of the heaviness, um, which had stayed with me from that funeral. Um, and we just knew we had to, we had to um, take on this story that it was too important um, for it to stay buried in history. Mm. And for you, Eugene? Yeah, um, I have kind of always had a foot in both print journalism and filmmaking uh, over the course uh, of my career. And so um, right now my work primarily focuses on documentary editing, um, but uh, but some of the work that I think um, sort of has stayed with me the most and I'm most proud of is the work that I did for Corey M Journal, which was the Korean American magazine um, through which that Julie was the editor in chief of and through which we had collaborated on stories in the past on. And so I think Julie sort of covered kind of where, where sort of that connection with the Chosu Lee story came from. Um, I'll just share that at the time I was working sort of like as a documentary editor, kind of in a, in a mainstream publication. And I just, really missed the kinds of stories that we would work on at Coriam General, this really sort of deep dives into our community and just looking at our community in a way that only someone who's from the communities can really, really uncover and talk about. So, so that's, that's where it started for me. And Ronka, you have a pretty special connection to this um, documentary and to the story because you knew Chosu personally, you know, you had a very uh, personal connection and he talked like, it talks about you and him exchanging letters while he, was in prison and you were kind of like a support you were a support system for him personally but then also as an activist so talk about that aspect and having such a personal connection to this to the person this film is about I probably wouldn't have um, gotten involved if um, if it hadn't been for KW Lee I stayed uh, I met him casually you know a year before his arrest and then uh, found out uh, through a probation officer that uh, a year later, the person arrested, this Korean man who was arrested, was the Charles Lee that I knew. Um, and I thought I should look into it because it just sounded so strange. And the more I, I looked into it, um, the odder and odder it appeared until uh, I just thought, <laughs> you have to do something. This guy needs uh, representation. He has no money. He has no family to speak of, no friends. And something really wrong is going on. And so I started, I tried um, to uh, find him a, a lawyer and couldn't do it. I was, uh, I was 
19, 20 years old. I had no money. And I don't know why I was so naive that I thought lawyers would just trust me on my word that I'd pay them. Uh, and I, I went to like 10, 10 of the most uh, progressively known attorneys in San Francisco. But I couldn't produce the money. I just could produce the promise. And until KW Lee came along and wrote that extremely revealing, comprehensive, brilliant series on the case of Chosu Lee, um, there really wasn't uh, anything that I could do further except be his friend. And when I was introduced to KW, it was <laughs> it was so exciting that here was another person who who was just as excited, who was going to take up this mantle of responsibility for Chosu and do something. And so I just uh, continued working on it. Going on from that, one of the things that one of the things that really stood out to me in this film is that there's two very particular aspects of not only Chosu's story, but the story of Asian Americans and immigrants and people of color in America, where it talks about to me, I've always found the term the justice system, especially as it applies to North America, to be an oxymoron. You know, there is really nothing, there's really no justice for people of color in North America when it comes to the judicial system. That's why I usually prefer to say judicial system rather than justice system. And this film highlights how the justice system, as it's purported to be, does not work the way it should. You know, the law doesn't work for the vulnerable. The law doesn't work for the people who need the protection. The law doesn't work for the poor. And there's a line that um, Charles Sue says that I thought I, that I thought was so profound. And I, th I to me, he's a very, he was a very profound speaker and he understood life very, and I think from a very, not only unique perspective, not only because of his experience in prison, but even before like his life growing up in South Korea at such a tumultuous time during the Korean war and just after, and he had a very profound way of seeing the word, um, the world. And there's something I highlighted it where he said, um, the judicial system remains ignorant and insensitive, you know, and that's something that um Wan also said as well. And this film highlights how the justice system doesn't work the way it should. And that and that begins from the very moment he was arrested, you know, like people they the the cops saw this, got a description from people who, who don't know the area. There are three white tourists and they took the word of these three strangers in this environment, pointing out this one man as being the witness. And they just rolled with that. They didn't do any investigation. They didn't do, um, they, they didn't do their due diligence. And that to me is one of the grossest miscarriages of justice where they don't do their job. So for each of you, I'm going to talk about just how this film itself is an investigative process because you have to use the work not only that um Kwang Wan did as a journalist, but as um as an advocate, uh, Ronko, you have to work as an investigator. You know, you said you went and you found like 10 of the most progressive lawyers you could find at the time. And you had to do your own research to make sure that you were doing your due diligence as an advocate. And for you, Julia, uh, I keep saying Julia, I apologize. For you, Julia <laughs> and Eugene. You yourselves, are in the process of making this film, have to investigate this story. You know, you have to look at it from an angle where as creatives and as filmmakers, you have to, in a, in a sense, step outside of your own lens and your own pre misconceptions and preconceptions to make sure that this story is done justice to Chol Su. Because 
in his life he had he had just he very rarely had actual justice for himself. So Ronko, we begin with you. Oh, um, back in um, back in seventy four when he first went to trial, uh, I had gone uh, to Sacramento to a to uh, visit uh, and meet his attorney there. And there was another person from Chinatown who uh, was also there. And both of us were telling the attorney that Chosu Lee had not killed this man. Um, the attorney, I, I don't think, uh, took us very seriously. And he certainly didn't do anything about it. And Chosu's trial was uh, very quickly... Uh, 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 they very quickly convicted him of uh, first-degree murder. So I had been an activist since high school. I My first uh, kind of act activism was uh, the Great Boycott, the unionization of farm workers. Mm -hmm. And through, uh, through a lot of different activities, I had been involved just in in demonstrations, anti-war demonstrations, um, uh, with other Asian American groups. And also, um, at the time, there was a lot of third world coalitions happening. And I saw that on our campuses. I saw it when I went to college. Uh, we were always like third world groups, people of color gathering together uh, <clears throat> to either you know, uh, oppose an issue or to strengthen, you know, some, some kind of cause. So I just, this was in keeping with the, the things that I saw that were important. Um, I'm losing my train of thought as I'm saying this. <laughs> okay, you're going, you're doing fine. <laughs> but, uh, but this is how you did things. You did things by uh, gathering, uh, by informing a lot of people. And you did this naturally because our groups never had any money. You know, there was no wealth. If we had wealth, we could have taken care of Chelsea very easily. So, so easily. It would never have been an issue. He'd still be alive now. But None of us were ever wealthy. And so the only way you do it is in a grassroots kind of mode. And that that is, I think, the essential kind of activism that you need even today. It doesn't come top down. It has to come from the community upward. And I think that's where the strength of uh, any movement lies. Um, so no, uh, it, it took a little bit of time to convince new immigrants that our judicial system does not work. You know, they're, they're hoping uh, by any means that, that this is going to be the equality and the justice mm -hmm. that they so long sought. Well, so you have to say, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint. But no, our communities and our society here um, 
does not treat people equally. And so that was a process in uh, in galvanizing and organizing support around Chilsu, both him and then what his case represented uh, for, for people like him. I think, um, you know, all the things you mentioned, Carolyn, like um, I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, racial bias in our criminal justice system, racial profiling, policing in communities of color, um, you know, criminal justice reform, those are all issues that typically we don't actually talk about in the context of Asian Americans, to be honest. And so I think um, that is an issue like people of color face, you're right, but oftentimes we don't see uh, an Asian American face um, when it comes to these issues. And I think that's why we thought this story was so important for us to tell. Um, you know, in terms of Chul Su Lee's case, it was not only the grave injustice of, um, you know, wrongful conviction. Um, it was also dated before that, like when he was um, an immigrant to this country, like uh, without much support at home um, or in school or any of our institutions without bilingual teachers or counselors um, to, to support um, you know, a kid who, who didn't speak English well and who was having trouble adjusting. Um, and yet, you know, and then he gets into a fight, he gets bullied at school. And, and, uh, instead of, um, him being disciplined within the school, the school, you know, calls the, the police and he gets arrested. And then he's, you know, charged with battery. And then he's entered into the criminal justice system that way at a very young age. Um, and so I think, even that school to prison pipeline is something that we hear about with other other communities, but we don't see identified with an Asian American. Um, and so we think, you know, this film especially um, does, um, we see, you know, fortunately we, we've had um, um, the privilege of sharing this film um, since last January um, you know, around the country and around the world. And you see like how it's opening people's eyes to to the fact that yes these are our issues too people who look like us this we face this too and actually we have a long history of anti-asian racism you know that oftentimes this history is not known or acknowledged and so um you know we hope that uh, as as people you know continue to watch the film um like on on PBS's independent lens um later this month that you know they also will see that just very clearly um, th this kind of racism is part of our history, and unfortunately, it still happens now. And I think part of the the investigative process, you know, it was about sort of discovering everything that had been through um, that that Chelsu had been through before his 1974 arrest, as Julie was talking about, um, just the school to prison pipeline, just everything that he had been through that had criminalized him from an early age, and which happens to immigrants people of color, people who don't have language, people who there's not sufficient support for, like within the system, even outside of what we consider to be the criminal justice system or, or the judicial system. Um, but uh, that investigative process led to just learning so much more about the traumas he'd been through. And I, I, I won't share too much because I do hope that folks will watch the film. And, and I think those sort of get revealed in the film in a way um, to, to help people connect to his story. Um, but the, the investigative process, just to sort of riff on that for a second, it also kind of fueled the process through which we found archival because so much of our discovery of Chosu had to come through the archival because he had passed. Mm -hmm. And we never got a chance to really talk to him, of course, um, because, you know, the, the the inception of the film, you know, came from his, his, his funeral. 
And so it was just really powerful as we were kind of introduced to people by KW and um, to sort of meeting people connected to the movement to see how much what archival there was out there. And this sort of resonates with what Ronko was saying about kind of coming from the ground up, like the archive that we found came from the ground up as well in so many cases, like it came from the community itself. It wasn't from like an official library or an official archive or something like that. Like folks within the community had taken upon it upon themselves to not only recognize the importance of this moment, but to preserve it and do what they could to do their part. And so it just feels like it was such a privilege to have a glimpse of what like we came to call like an underground archive kind of, um, of material related to Chalsuli. And and there was just, uh, and, and like our, our sort of experience as journalists kind of did help fuel that as we went from person to person and, and were able to sort of see what was out there and, and help us just learn more about Chalsu's life and just everything that he had been through. Also, you mentioned um, about the grassroots organizing for his for his freedom after he'd been in prison. And something that I kept thinking about as the film went on was like how not only Chalsu's life, but the lives of so many immigrants in particular, like where community support is very integral. You know, it's very important for mental health. It's very important to not feel lonely. It's very important to have a community. I myself, I'm an immigrant. I'm not from Canada. I'm from Barbados. So, and I, I moved here as an adult. And for children, is 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 it was extremely hard for me as an adult to move here. I cried, <laughs> I cried when I got my first paycheck because I saw them taking up my taxes. I'm like, oh wait, I live here now. And but it's a very hard adjustment. And this is something that isn't really talked about with the immigrant experience, you know, where people don't don't acknowledge how emotionally and mentally draining it is. And while I was watching this film, I just kept thinking this man, even from the time he was a child, from a boy, he never really had emotional and mental support, you know? And then and then once he did get that support from the activists like Ronco and all of those people that were working with KW and their lawyers and like their whole community grassroots organization, um, organizing, I just also kept thinking about who's looking out for him mentally, you know, who's looking out for him emotionally. Because once he came out, it was like, what's next? You know, like he wasn't prepared for that. So for each, for the three of you, I want you to talk about um, for for your own experiences, like how do you how how are you handling this situation um, mentally and emotionally? Because not only making the film and going through all of the archival footage, I know that can be very daunting for filmmakers, but also having to kind of, in a sense, rehash these painful memories with people like Ron Cole and KW and other people that you had, you would have had to interview. So for the three of you, how have you been handling what this film means for you personally? We can go with you first, Eugene. Um, I, I think, gosh, there's so many ways to respond to that. I think, you know, it's been just truly profound to see actually, I think some of the reactions that folks who knew Chelsea best had to the film. Um, I think, you know, we, we, we've been told by, by activists that, um, that, that the film provided a sense of closure in a way. And, uh, and I think, you know, for me on some level, like I, I like, I, I can appreciate sort of film and art as a place for healing, um, kind of in a, in a sort of intellectual way, but like to actually see it and to actually see the way that people have responded and to see kind of like how it has like sort of released some something that might have been with them um has just been been extremely profound and you know i mean on, on some level it's it's 
you know, it, it, it kind of connects to maybe some of the reasons why the case was not as well known that Chelsea sort of would some, sometimes sort of talk about. He would talk about how his case wasn't as clean as 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 maybe other better known cases. You know, I mean, he like sort of at the very beginning of the film, we start off with the idea that he was not an angel. Yeah, he said, I'm, know, a, I'm not an angel and I'm not a devil yeah, either. I think that was right. a very profound thing to acknowledge. Exactly. Um, and of course, his struggles once he got out, you know, with his institutionalization, his addiction, um, just compounding all of the trauma he'd been through, as well as his hopes to try and live up to this incredible thing that the community had did, done for him, like to free him like that. But um, it's been, you know, it's been sort of really humbling to see the way the audiences have responded um, to the film, to see that they connect with him, like on a level that, you know, is very human. You know, they see his flaws, they see his stumbles, but, you know, they see his charisma, his, they see his strength, they see his resilience and are able to really kind of connect with his humanity ultimately. And I think there's something just, that's just so important about that in terms of what a film can do and um, it's just been tremendously like humbling and gratifying to see that process play out for people to see that this is a place where that kind of connection can happen. Because I think, you know, at the core of any question of mental health is that question of connection and that question of empathy and the question of healing. Wow. Um, yeah, I would just say like, um, you know, it has, I would say, I think Eugene, I felt the um, intense responsibility to do justice to this, this story um, to Chelsea Lee and, and to all those who rallied to his side. Um, and that was actually, sometimes it felt overwhelming. Um, and um, I think it was, um, it was something, a, a project where I, sometimes I wondered if we would ever be at peace with the final outcome and the final film, like if we could ever do it justice because it's such an epic singular um, story. Um, but I have to say like, um, once we we finished the film and I, I saw a final cut, um, I actually felt a tremendous peace. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and then I was just hoping that the people who live the story like Ronco and KW and the others would feel the same way, would share that feeling. Um, and it was something I didn't actually expect to have. Um, I just also wanted to add that um, to follow up on what I mentioned earlier about the heaviness of the funeral, you know, I think initially I didn't understand where the heaviness came from. And I thought it was mostly from KW and the activists who maybe had this kind of enduring ache that Chulsu didn't have the happiest ending and suffered so much even after um, his release from prison. But then as we worked on the film, I came to realize that I think that the heaviness came from Chelsea's spirit himself and his spirit not being at peace. Mm -hmm. And so the film became then a vehicle to allow him to tell his own story, to find agency, to explain why it was so hard for him to overcome his demons after his release from prison, um, to talk about some of his regrets, um, and also to honor the people like Ronco and KW who came to his side and stayed with him even after his struggles post-release and it became a way to try to transmit that piece to them um, and allowing Chelsu to actually do that through our film so in that sense um yes emotionally mentally i would say this is one of the hardest things i've ever done in my life but i do feel very grateful 
um, that, as Eugene said, um, the people who live the story so far have really embraced the film and do feel like they have been honored. Um, and some of them have even said that they do feel like we captured Chosuli truthfully. Um, and so that's been an incredible, incredible um, gift. And for you, to close us off, Bronco, what about you? How did, how has doing the film helped you maybe to process everything that you've been through for the last few decades? I never, I never would have uh, believed that we would unpack the whole Chelsea Lee person and case, like over 40 years later. Um, in um, 1984, when we were kind of like closing up shop and just dealing with uh, Chosuli as an individual, but we were no longer having committee meetings or, or uh, working in that kind of a large group way. Um, and some of us, me in particular, and uh, uh, Stuart Hamlin, the attorney, uh, were, were pretty lost. Uh, we had put so many hours, so much of our waking hours for for years into this case. And then when it's over, you just see, what next? <laughs> How do you move on? Um, and we, kind, we commiserated and we spent a lot of time together talking about this. And then, it, and then you just tire of it because it's not going anywhere. And you just say, okay, pack it up. Put it into the attic and find what your life will be. So suddenly, um, you know, in 2016, I pulled these boxes literally out of the attic and revisit um, all of these things that I just thought would remain very deep uh, personal memories. And there's so much that I've learned when they made this film. You uh, created a film that is way beyond any of our expectations. Uh, I think you just uh, captured so the essence of both movement and Chosu and the, the spirit behind um, supporting him and supporting each other. It's uh, that kind of, of support that we had with each other is still there, you know, as everybody kind of comes back together and talks about it. And it's that kind of support that held all of us together, you know, and allowed us to, to accomplish uh, some pretty great things. As far as Chosu, I am at peace with... Uh, how he lived his life. I think we tried different people in particular, tried very, very hard to um, give him uh, options and access, you know, to places to live and jobs and different opportunities. But it's so difficult to uh, for individuals to surmount uh what his life had been. And so without a lot of that basics and, and without those organizations that could support him, I don't think we could overcome. But that's that's sort of okay. I do think he had closure. 
in the end. And wow, this movie really is able to speak for him. I just think that's a, a wonderful thing that you did with this uh, film, is let him have his own words. Uh, Thank you so much. And I think that's the perfect way to end this because you did get to use his, um, you got to use voice recordings, which I think is the most important because most documentaries, we don't have the subjects speaking on their own behalf, you know, speaking from their own perspectives and to their own experiences and in their history. So I think that's one of the most profound aspects of this film is getting to hear Charles Sue speak for himself and share his perspectives. And I think to me, the one of the other things that really stands out for me with this film, and I close off with this, is that he did the best he could. And he had an incredibly difficult hand that was dealt to him as a human being. And I, to me, I didn't see, like, yes, he died, unfortunately, at a very, to me, a pretty young age. And to me, I didn't see any, his, I wouldn't call his life a waste, because I don't see any human's life as a waste. But considering everything that he'd been through he did extremely well at the end you know he that he went through the accident he had the burns and he was, was still like I'm still going to use this as an opportunity to speak to people you know he didn't let that push him into a corner he didn't let that beat him down he was still able to come through and make the very end uh, matter and like he was like I did my job I did what I, was, I did what I'm supposed to do and and he brought he brought the whole Pan Asian community together, considering we know like there's some like tumultuous histories between the different individual countries, but like everyone came together to support this woman and found community. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about this film and about what happened to him and what happened to all, all the people, the hundreds of people who were involved in that story and everything that came after, you know, out of this extreme, like out of this extremely dark um circumstance came an extremely beautiful thing so I think that's the most important thing to focus on so thank you so much for speaking with me today Ronco, Julia and Eugenia thank you so much for making this film I think it was it was needed it was very necessary as we were speaking I got a little emotional there Ronco so so I think it's I can't wait for other people to watch this film and to speak more about community um mentorship and emotional support and mental support especially for immigrants and people who go through situations like this Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us oh, on. Was, thank you. Yeah. I wish we had more time for like a whole list of notes, but. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. It's so wonderful to speak with someone who, who really gets it. <laughs> thank you. Exactly. So everyone, that was another episode of Karen and Tess for the So Here's What Happened podcast. I'm your host, Karen and Hines, and today I was joined by filmmakers Julie Ha and Eugene Yi and activist and lawyer Ranko Yamada to talk about the film Free Chusi, which is a documentary that documents the life of Chusi, a Korean-American immigrant who was wrongfully incarcerated for 10 years for a murder he did not commit. And the film begins from his life as a young child growing up in the tumultuous time of South Korea after the Korean War, his immigration to the U.S. with his mother, and all of the struggles that came with that, and how he became an example of the school-to-prison pipeline that we hear so often about and that is still going on in America. And then his unfortunate and unjust incarceration. And then the film takes a lot of time to talk about, to document the work that hundreds of activists like Ronco and lawyers and journalists like KWE, who worked, who um, Julie worked under, who began the work of looking into the circumstances around 
um, Chusui's imprisonment and then the case and how it was a gross miscarriage of justice. And I think it's a phenomenal documentary. Um, I had wanted to see it when it first premiered at Sundance in 2022, but I wasn't able to, but now I got to see it and I got to speak to them. And it's going to be released on PBS on April 24th in 2023, and then it's going to be available on multiple platforms through PBS for AAPHI Heritage Month. But before I wrap up, I want to acknowledge the narrator because I wanted to ask him this question during the interview, but I didn't have the opportunity to. But I, but afterwards, I got a quote, and I think it's um, important to read the quote because the narrator, Sebastian Yoon, actually has a connection to Chu Sui. So it goes, and I quote, Our narrator, Sebastian Yoon, was the amazing discovery of our producer, Su Kim, who saw him speaking at an event promoting the documentary series College Behind Bars and was so moved by him, Sebastian is himself Korean-American and formerly incarcerated. He brought that lived experience and emotional honesty and so much care and heart to voicing Chu Suyi. He notably also collaborated with us on the script of Fourth Generation and helped us flesh out our scenes that brought out Chu Suyi's interior journey with, while incarcerated, the loneliness, the depression, and the dehumanization he confronted. Sebastian said he wanted to work with us on this film because he could relate to Chu Sui and felt an obligation to speak up for him since he's no longer with us. He wanted people upon seeing this film to try to understand why it was so hard for Chu Sui after he came out of prison and to listen to him with empathy and compassion. We think you can we think you can feel this intention in Sebastian's voice. Our film team feels so fortunate to have met and collaborated with Sebastian. It was de definitely one of the highlights of working on the film. And I agree because when you listen to the narration of the film, it's it adds the human element of Chosi to this film. Like he's not just a person that we're watching through archival footage and reading through news clippings. And I think it was important that they got someone with a connection to Chelsea, such as having been formerly incarcerated and who understands the emotional and mental toll that takes. But also the, in the documentary, there is um, archival audio recordings of Chelsea during um, previous interviews. So like those are very important aspects of the film. And I um, appreciate Sebastian for lending his voice to this film and for Julie and Eugene for creating this film. And um, as I said, it'll be available online. And this is a podcast, so you can watch the YouTube version of this episode on my YouTube channel. That's YouTube slash, that's sorry, that's YouTube.com slash at symbol Carolyn underscore Hines. And find links to this episode and previous episodes of Carolyn Talks and my other podcasts on my R3 page. That's uthrry.com slash Carolyn Hines. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at CarrieCNH12. That's at C-R-R-I-E-C-N-H12. You'll find links to the film, to Julie and Eugene's sites in the description box for the podcast as well as in the YouTube channel. And um, look out for coverage, for future coverage for Caroline Talks throughout the year. And everyone, until the next episode, stay safe. <laughs>